Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram where the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Come. My name is Gerald Gitter, Jeremy host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who feels personally slighted by ESPN's recruiting rankings, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Absolute unfathomable tragedy, Gerald, that, that Arch Manning was ranked anything but number one above all. No, I, I really honestly couldn't care. I think it's great. And hopefully, does that mean we can stop talking about it now? He's number one in every service except ESPN. The, uh, the the BOMC is backfiring, Gerald. The machine there's a there's a uh, a, a bug in the the apparatus. It, it clearly once he got to one already, it couldn't propel him with the BOMC. That's the burnt orange media conspiracy bump any higher. So it actually is failing and dropped him down to second in one of the one of the one of the rankings. ESPN's mild to moderately behind the curve so much so that they still have quarterbacks broken out by pocket passer and dual threat also the screenshots that the hashtag archanon weirdos are posting <laughs> uh, intentionally leave out the fact that the kid that jumped him has the exact same grade from espn that he has and it seems like it's just a symbolic jump at best like i do not go to espn for a whole lot of recruiting stuff i just don't um which is fine. It is what it is. It's okay. Let's just keep it moving. Now Arch doesn't have a perfect rating. Everybody can shut up about him. Let's just <laughs> shut up. Let's move on. Everybody shut up. It, it clearly, I think, has hurt the momentum that he's been dropped. We, we, we've barely had, um, you know, I think, what, only like four or five commitments the past two weeks. So it's 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 really been quite atrocious. You can feel the, the train slowing down. So sarcasm. Texas is definitely not going to fill up its class before the season starts. Nope, nope, not at all. Nope, <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, but we're not here to talk about 2023 quarterbacks. We're going to talk about guys already on campus. We did the quarterbacks last week. If you'd like to hear our discussion about quarterbacks and how it's going to shake out and just our philosophy on how we like our coaches to handle quarterback battles check out last tuesday we'd love to have you but we're going to talk running backs today texas has an official embarrassment of riches at running back so we'll talk about that we'll quickly jump to down the 40 a lot to discuss in down the 40 today a lot of announcements and some recruiting news as well and then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum so when you talk about doing a running back preview for the University of Texas currently, it's different than normal years, right? Because you know what Texas has. Texas has Bijan Robinson, a guy who would start for all but maybe one of the other FBS schools, which debatable about that other one. Uh, Roshan Johnson would probably start for 90 of the other FBS schools and maybe a smaller number than, or bigger number than that. And then they got Keelan Robinson, who's another option. They've got Jonathan Brooks, who's coming off of a four-game redshirt year. Texas has an absolutely stocked running back room. It feels like, Kyle, to me, it feels like the days where Texas was was prioritizing the run and able to trot out any kind of guy. The offensive line was one of the better rush-blocking units in the country last year. I think they ranked top 10 on an offensive line yards per rush at like over three, which when you get past three yards for offensive line room, you're doing a good job. 
job. So, like, what does the offense look like when you've got this stable of guys but a coach that likes to air it out? Like, what is your expectation for the offense when you've got a stable of dudes uh, in an offense that likes to air it out? Well, it likes to air it out. I think there's a little bit of a caveat there. I think Sark will always say that he likes the run to set up the pass and the pass to set up the run, right? He wants to keep defenses off balance. If they're keying on one, he's going to use the other. He's His goal is to constantly kind of counterattack a defense. Um, obviously, a big part of that, and, and, you know, that's not to say every coach, probably offensive coach in, in the history of football hasn't wanted to do some level of that, right? The play-action passes have been around since the days of the wishbone. Um, but uh, I, I do think... With Quinn Ewers, with the receivers they have, they're going to want to air it out. We, we talked about quarterbacks. We'll talk about receivers soon, um, tight ends, all that. But but I think the strength of the team is the running back group. And I think you can argue um, that, you know, there's some really good units in this in this conference. There's, there's you know, teams with, with great defensive back units. There's some really good couple teams with really good defensive lines, um, a couple elite linebacker units. I don't know if there's a more talented top to bottom, you know, one, two, three, maybe even four, we'll talk about punch uh, of, of players where we're typically one, maybe two, see the field than what you have with the Texas running back room, right? Um, you have two guys we're going to talk about who are, you know, preseason watch list uh, at their position for, for the Doak Walker Award. Again, um, think back to the old school days where one running back got 300 carries a season. It's pretty crazy to have two guys um, on there, but the, the talent is, is certainly there from top to bottom. And, and again, from the younger guys lower down who, who could, you know, continue to be rainmakers in their day. But, but a lot of the reason that we are able to say that, that this group is so good begins and ends with the fact that Bijan Robinson is so good and he's so good at so many things. And, and when you talk about wanting to air it out, Bichon did some of his dirtiest work getting the ball uh, after the pass. So uh, the passing game is not precluded when we talk about these running backs. I, I think ideally every fan and honestly probably Coach Sark and the, the entire staff wants the running backs involved in that facet of the game and to be to be, you know, an additional lever, an additional weapon and, and you know, focus on the wide receivers at your peril. There's always a wheel route coming behind you. I've always, I've jokingly said for most of the offseason that Sark should just scrap everything and run the wishbone. Like, have Roshan be the trigger man, have Bijan be the tailback, have Keelan be the flanker, and Jonathan be the fullback, right? Like, let's just do that. Like, let's just <laughs> run the wishbone. Let's do it. Let's throw everybody off balance. And I would love to see that sort of package. Just like, what the hell is going on? It's <laughs> like, you know what you get with Bijan, right? Like, Bij- like everybody, Bijan is the one of the elite guys in the country. And, you know, he's he's one, one, two, or three, depending on who you talk to, depending on the day you catch him, right? So much of the offensive line success, I'll just go and say it, is because Bijan's so hard to take down at the point of attack. There were mm-hmm. so many times where mm-hmm. Texas would have gotten stuffed, where Texas would have uh, had a tackle for loss, but Bijan makes a guy miss in the hole, makes a guy miss in the backfield, and polishes a turd and turns it into three, four, five yards. Yep. And it's 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 going to be the most uneventful five yards you've ever seen, and I'm <laughs> fine with that. Like, there will be some totally highlight real plays where he sticks a foot in the ground and stiff arms a guy and leaps over a guy and puts Billy Bowman on his, on his keister, right? Like there are those plays, but then there's also just like Bijan puts a foot in the ground. He runs five yards. He gets tackled. He gets back up. He does it again. Right. And that to me is almost as important or more important than 
the flashy plays because that's what keeps your offense on schedule. In Texas, its biggest struggles last year were when it got off schedule, when yep. it had a negative play on second down or yep. got, had a negative play on first down. So keeping your offense on schedule, that's what Bijan does. Um, but Roshan is is the, is the same type of guy, just maybe with a lower ceiling. That's the I think that's the strength of what Texas does is that the running backs are similar enough where you don't really have to change a ton when those for, when one or one A, really it's one and two because the yeah, in any other year it'd be one and one a but it's definitely one and two because Bijan's Bijan right yeah uh, but like when Roshan comes in you don't have to change a ton of what you're doing with with Bijan because you know a guy like Roshan Johnson he is uh, I remember in high school we had a fullback that our coach was didn't like because he wanted to be a tailback but he was built like a fullback and then they put in his backup and his backup was just he was a lineman in a fullback's body and he literally would just run into your back if it, if it was a fullback dive and you were in his hole he was going to put his head on your back and he was going to push you <laughs> forward and that was incredible right and that's the kind of guy that Roshan Johnson is he's like if there's if there's not a hole I'm gonna make a hole or I'm gonna push myself through the hole uh, and he's also the kind of guy that when you're looking for a rally in the fourth quarter, he's the kind of guy, because again, if you don't remember, he was a quarterback in a previous life. And yeah. so he's got that mindset about him. He's got that, that uh, countenance about him that um, it takes to be a leader of the team. And, you know, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love seeing a guy like Roshan who made a selfless decision three years ago to say, you know, we need running backs. I'll make the switch. Now he's a guy that's looking at a, at a shot. He's going to he's going to interview really well at the at the doing the pro circuits. If he tests well at pro days and if he gets a combine invite like the dude could see his find his way into the league. Um when he probably wouldn't have seen the field as a quarterback. And that, to me, um, is a reward for a guy making a self, selfless decision. And, and you know, Alabama offenses, Sarkeesian offenses, is not a rare thing in his Alabama days that the, the second and oftentimes third string running back all ended up in the NFL. Now, I'm not saying we're Alabama because, you know, although we have – you know, justice celebrated a history of running backs. I would argue aspirations of, <laughs> I, well, I would, I would argue if you, if you zoom out and go historically, right, Texas, Bama, and a few others can claim to, you know, be that running back you, right. But, but obviously the, the prolific NFL pipeline that Alabama has been in the running back room in the past 10 years, um, you know, we're not going to claim that we are exactly that, but I do think, yeah, it, it's not crazy to think that the same as you would get at Alabama, a guy who gets, a hundred attempts a season still goes on and ends up being a, a contributor, maybe a starter uh, for an NFL team. Right. Um, so I think talking about Abijan Roshan one, two punch is interesting because uh, like you said, Roshan is, is a good kind of not necessarily a change of pace, just a fresher set of legs. I think there's certain things that Bijan does that Roshan doesn't. There's certain, you know, a uh, little bit, I don't know if there's anything that Roshan does that Bijan can't, but he 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 has that mindset. He's a vocal leader, which he, the all offseason has been talked about. Roshan as the leader of this team, but also Bijan taking more of a leadership role, um, which is exciting that you're running back one and two are are you know leading the charge for old school fans of Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, and the Texas uh, running back rooms of old. I think you know I think Roshan will have a lot to prove this year. I think you know if it's if Bijan gets 20 carries a game and he's just a little tired and he and he's run some long wheel routes. Right. Like having a running back you can bring in in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter and just get you that 
on schedule yardage, that five yards, you know, you need without having to be spectacular is great. We also haven't even talked about, and, and we can go into stats and everything for, for those two, but this really, the reason we talk so highly and favorably about this is because the upside of running back three of the true change of pace, the true, you know, uh, lightning to their thunder um, or thunder, to their lightning. I don't remember which is with John, uh, uh, Keelan Rob is the faster one. That's right. Light, Ke- light is faster than sound. I mean, this is I'm a, I'm a journalism major, okay? Uh, Keelan <laughs> Keelan Robinson um, only touched the ball like 50 times last year, uh, but basically, you know, when he did, you always held your breath. You always wondered, is it going to be a home run? Because he has that type of speed. And so again, Sark gets paid a lot of money to figure this out. There is a world where you want all three of those guys on the field a percentage of time, whether it's all together or in different formations, or to give the defense different looks. Just putting Keelan out whether you motion him out, put him in the slot, makes the defense think a little bit because of the speed he has, because of the multiples that he can bring. I think he came from Alabama to play for Sark. He, we've seen some more of those guys recently, but I think he was the first of those on the offensive side of knowing what he can do, and I think he, he will want to be involved in this offense, not just the third wheel. So I will be very curious to see if he sees an expanded role, if he can still average over seven yards a touch, um, you know, next season. That's fantastic. Get, get those get those double-digit numbers. Pump those up, uh, as McConaughey would say. But, uh, you know, at least seven yards a touch, you're, no one's mad about that. Um, maybe get, get a couple more home run touchdowns out of him. I, I, I just think when the passing game goes vertical, it creates even more space underneath for a guy with the speed of Keelan who just needs a crease, right? When you, you drop the defensive back back two more yards because you can now have a deeper ball over top with Quinn Ewers that you didn't have last year, that guy coming across, whether it's you know a jet sweep, a, a drag underneath, a pitch outside, just gives him an extra two steps to get going. And, and honestly, that can be the difference between a home run for a guy with the, the talent and speed uh, and game-breaking you know, ability that, that Keelan Robinson has. Yeah, and I mean, there was rightfully so some questions toward the middle of the season why he didn't see the field in some of those games. You know, one carry against Oklahoma State, none against Baylor, three in, in Iowa State. Um, but we saw, you know, Bijan got, got hurt um, and did not participate at West Virginia and Kansas State, and he had 18, 18 carries between the two games. Now, West Virginia was a much better outing for him than Kansas State was. Uh, but he's a guy who, like you said, is a great change of pace. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I don't see him on a wheel route, having just watching an unsuspecting linebacker have to try to keep up with him on a wheel route, um, I'm going to sue Sark for malpractice. Is what's going to happen? <laughs> like, you you have to be able to because you know there's that little there there's that jet sweep play that they like to run in the red zone, and there's that like fake sweep uh, sneak the the running back out in the flats uh, play that they like to run in the red zone. And I think Keelan can execute on both of those in a, in a really significant way and we haven't talked about probably you know my personal favorite running back in there Jonathan Brooks a guy like we said who redshirted last year only played in four games but when he appeared uh, he's he he looks like an old school running back mm. he he like and this is rarefied air and I'm not gonna say he's going to be this person but like he reminds me of watching a guy like Cedric Benson where there's just enough juice to break away there's just enough power to put somebody on their keister and he probably won't factor in a ton this year just because there is so much there but another year of development with with Tashar Choice another year of development seeing you know true professionals like Bijan and, and Roshan play the game like he is a guy who can sit back in the cut save his body some wear and tear be the bell cow for a couple of years and hopefully make a name for himself in those, in those two or three years. 
I think, Gerald, you just love a, a Texas running back with dreads, and I completely understand it. Um, As you should. There, there is a, an incredible legacy there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Jonathan Brooks, it, it's crazy to be talking about him as, as the um, fourth running back. I'll just say this, in no hate, no shade. We bring on a lot of people on this podcast. We play a lot of Big 12 teams every year, right? And they talk about, oh, we have a running back guy by committee. And, and a lot of these podcast guests will get so excited, and they're talking about, you know, all right, and, and our third running back is this guy, and he's he's a, 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 a three-star with some upside, or, you know, he's a big recruit. He's, he's a, a low four-star. Like, Jonathan Brooks is a guy who could slot in at most as a, as a now second-year player at most schools in the Big 12 and be, if not, I'm not going to say starter for sure, but be their number two guy or be on their committee to get touches every game. Um, and, and I think he's come to Texas knowing the, the, the legacy here. And, and again, and there's going to be some guys who move on, and he's going to be ready to take that mantle and step up. But just the talent when you, when you see it and when you know what he did in, in high school, right? You talked about... I'm not picking on, but we had Levi last week, right? And he's like, this guy had an Iowa record of this many yards. And like, that's, that's cute. You know, Jonathan Brooks had 28,000, I'm exaggerating, but lots of thousands of yards, uh, his senior season. I mean, you may have touched the ball 300 times over four years, probably. (laughs) I mean, just, yeah. an an ungodly amount of yards against Texas defenses and, and dragging his team deep into Texas state playoffs, right? Like he, he really is, was special at the prep level and has shown those flashes uh, at this level. I just wanted to, to, to point out, right, to go back up. I mentioned Keelan having seven yards a touch, right? He, he had seven catches, you know, for 57 yards. I'd love to see that number go up. Roshan Johnson actually led uh, the two uh, kind of main backs with just, just about six yards a touch, 5.93, five touchdowns, 11 catches for 80 yards. Bijan, uh, getting almost 200 carries, uh, was still just just shy of, of six yards at 5.78. So you have three backs who basically, if you give them the ball by numbers twice in a row, you get a first down, right? Now, that's not obviously how the <laughs> game works. But, you know, math, you, for sure. you like that, right? You like that you have guys who are, are not going down easy, and you, you like that a line that showed – heart and progress towards the the end of the season and especially in the run game um look Bijan missed two games last year right you mentioned it earlier the West Virginia and Kansas game both games UT rushed for more than 200 yards which again your last two games of the season he went down against KU as well we won't talk about that one but your last two games of the season when you need it your line steps up and clears those holes and your back step up Roshan and Keelan and Jonathan Brooks step up and and fill that in so in the event that any of those guys we mentioned gets hurt. Jonathan Brooks is there. I don't want to rely on Jaden Blue, but you have a talented guy below him on the depth chart who's gonna be you're gonna be talking about and hearing his name in the years to come. Probably the number one running back if it weren't for you know angry vindictive uh, people. But that's another story. But just a, a, an incredible talent that's that's behind him. So the pipeline is strong. When you think about as Gerald mentioned, Roshan Johnson's selfless act to move to running back. It was out of necessity. We were talking about moving linebackers. We were talking about walk-ons getting meaningful carries. I mean, we were in dire straits. It's it's easy to forget that just a few years ago, our running back room was absolute shambles with some injury problems and, and some freak things that, you know, couldn't really be calculated or foreseen, um, like Darian Brown's injury. So, uh, it shows the 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 flip, and and I know we talked about offensive line, and we'll get to our offensive line preview, but uh, we're seeing a huge flip there too, where we're just getting guys who have the talent, we're stocking up at the positions where you need them. But I, I mean, if you just cut it off at three, and you don't talk about the guys who have potential, you talk about the guys who've done it: Bijan, Roshan, Keelan. I don't know that you have a one-two-three punch at least in the conference. 
prove me wrong, maybe in the country that's as dynamic and has as much potential and as much knockout punch as the three of them. I don't think I don't think there is. So I think it leaves us with with this question: like, what what's what's your desired like workload? Do we see the wildcat? Like, what do you, what do you want to see from the running game in in twenty two? Well, two things. I, I want to see Bijan be a workhorse, but be protected. Right? He doesn't need. He had a TCU game where we had to feed him. It was the only thing working, and and he did that. I don't want a lot of forty carry games for him. I like the number, the sweet spot of about 20 a game, maybe, you know, with, with catches and everything, get him the ball in his hands 25, 27 times. The more you get him in space, the more he can do his little leg stick shimmy that, that embarrasses people and, and, and makes for highlight reels. Love that. So that means to me that you are going to be giving other people touches. And that either means the passing game two wide receivers, tight ends, or it means other running backs. And so I, I think we will see some of the two back sets, which were very successful last year. I think you will see Roshan Bijan back there. I think you will see Keelan in the slot. I think you'll see all of those things. I think you'll see, you know, him lining up as well, giving a blow, giving a change of pace. But I think the Wildcat will be a part. I don't think it will be as necessary as it was against Kansas State when you just got to you got to do something with your offense. Your quarterbacks are, are not playing, you know, great or they're injured themselves. Your running back is out. We're not going to see the necessity Wildcat, I hope. I think back to that Baylor game against us a couple years ago where they had to run it because they had no quarterbacks. I hope we're not anywhere near there. But I do think it's a really interesting wrinkle. You mentioned Roshan being a high school quarterback. We haven't seen the pass out of it. We've just seen it be a very successful running situation where you have an extra blocker. And that's great. But I do think there is a wrinkle, especially in the red zone, where you have basically an additional RPO where your, you know, your wildcat can throw it, as we know. Um, so I, I think you see that evolution this year in, in some key situations. Uh, I don't think it becomes relied on. It's not going to be the swoops 18-wheeler package where the defense knows what's coming and we run it every time. But I do think it can be a nice change of pace. The other thing is I want to see all three of these guys, not just Bijan, not just Keelan. I want to see all three of these guys involved in the passing game. I think for Quinn Ewers, the the – Pass blocking, we'll talk about when we get to our line preview, could be interesting, especially for a young guy. Use the safety net of your running backs. Use the fact that a, a linebacker might be matched up against these three athletes. I'd like to see all of them schemed for and given opportunities in the passing game because you just want to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. That's a Sarkeesian philosophy, and we're talking about three of the best on the team all right here. You know, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I, I think – one of the things that weighs on my like thoughts on this is the fact that Texas has eight straight to start the year. And so I would yep. prefer almost to see a more, not completely even Bijan's always going to be your bell cow, but like you've got to save his legs early in that run. Cause you've got on the schedule for, for that um, kind of what's going to determine the, the story of the season. I mean that, that start to big 12 play on the road at tech at home against West Virginia, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, boom, 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 boom. Like, and it, you're at you're at Oklahoma State to close that run. And so, like, I would be totally fine if it's like a, you know, Bijan has 17 to 19 carries, nothing above 20. Roshan has somewhere in the range of 10. Keelan has you know six or seven in a game. Like, that would to me. Um, and those are all. Oh, I didn't do any math on that, so like that's <laughs> they're not accurate numbers and what they would be, but. Like keeping the legs as fresh as possible for that. Like, and I know they've got like elite recovery and I've never been an elite athlete. And like, I'm still at the point in my life where like, if I sneeze too hard, I might have to take a day or two, (laughs) but like you've got to, the, the, the early season is going to be a marathon. 
Like, yep. you hit Alabama, and then you get, you know, like Alabama week two. UTSA is not going to be a walkover. Yeah. And then you've got, again, five straight conference games. And the Big 12, you're going to hear me say it a lot. It's it's going to be a crabs in the barrel year for the Big 12. I, I feel it. I see it. I think probably it hurts me deeply to say this. I think Baylor's probably the best team in the conference, and then everybody else is kind of just a messy middle. Um, and I th- even Baylor has lost some uh, talent, too. So it could just be the, the supremely crabs in a barrel year in the Big 12. But if you can save and have a relatively balanced setup with those three guys coming out of that eight-game stretch, then you get a break. Then you travel to Manhattan. Weird things happen in Manhattan, but having a having a relatively rested uh, Bajan for Kansas State, TCU, Kansas, and then you close the season at Baylor uh, on Black Friday, like that could set up for a really special ending to the regular season. And so that to me is something that I'll keep an eye on throughout the uh, throughout the early season. Gerald, one question: Are you worried that we are limiting our pool of possible? running back recruits in the future if their name doesn't end in on with Bijan, Rashawn, Kelan, Jonathan, um, Jadon. Uh, <clears throat> are you worried that, that Texas is limiting itself by by putting itself in a, a grammatical hole? Um, no, because yeah, Ruben Owens was committed for a minute, but <laughs> he decided to, to head to, to Papa John's land. He didn't uh, want to be Ruban? He didn't want to be Ruban. Um, <laughs> I I went so, so I did a I did a um, bl- like black black unicorn is what he goes by. So unicorn unicorn. <laughs> there's there's a way to there's a way to spin it, but we're not going to talk about him because he's not heading here. Uh, Trey Wisner is already in the boat from Desoto, um, and there's a kid from Florida that will probably end up in Texas as well. Um, and neither of them fit the rhyme scheme. So okay. uh, here's hoping. So it's 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 a moment in time. We we will enjoy it while we have it. We will be on for the ons. So we'll be back next week talking pass catchers. We'll talk about uh, wide receivers and tight ends a little bit. We'll touch on the tight ends as well uh, because they're going to have some pass catching responsibilities in this offense. So we'll be back next week to continue the conversation on the position previews. So now's the part of the show where we whip around and clean up all the other stuff we didn't talk about already, and we down. The 40, and we'll start with the running back's best friend, Texas, in what should have been a surprise commitment. Uh, adds blue chip offensive tackle Peyton Kirkland out of Dr. Phillips High School in Orlando, Florida. Number uh, four star kid, number 274 overall. Um, massive, massive human, 6'6, 345 at 17 years of age. A lot of upside, big shoes, a lot of eggs and bread being purchased in that household. <laughs> You know, like, there's, I won't name any names. There's a guy I knew in college, dated a girl, ended up marrying a girl, looked just like her. And that's fine. It's okay to have a type. Kyle Flood very clearly has a type. He likes them big. He likes big old boys. Like, just, he took the big humans and capitalized not just B-I-G, but also H-U-M-A-N-S. He he likes big, big guys in 6'6", 345, uh, kind of floats him in the middle of this class, which is absolutely wild. Just these sides of beef um, that that we have, we have brought in. But I mean, I think this now makes uh, a a good clean four rows of three uh, of, of (laughs) offensive line recruits. They're on 12. I think the past two classes, Agbo Banks, Campbell Chapman, Kojo Goosby, Hudson, Kirkland, Robertson, Stroh, Yumizulu and Williams, like just giant, giant men in there. And, and, Again, it's 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 kind of funny. Like they, 
when Sark got here and talked about the roster makeup, like he was very clear and it almost feels like he's like, he, he's being so literal. He's like, no, I really meant I'm going to flip the roster composition. I'm going to keep signing large humans. I may, I may move one of these six, six, three fifty guys to running back. I don't know. I'm just going to, it's like playing, <laughs> it's like playing NFL blitz on supersize mode. I don't know. He just keeps <laughs> signing giants and I'm not mad about it because we're going in the sec and this is what you need. Both the defensive line as well with the trenches, they're getting some big boys there too, but I love the offensive line. It was an area that even the most casual fan identified as a weakness. And we just continue to add, the big guys now on specifically Kirkland I mean a a really interesting recruitment to say the least Um, like Gerald hinted should have been one of the big surprises I had um, a Florida fan text me in bewilderment asking for for clarity and answers and I had none Um, (laughs) I've I've seen Michigan State salty Twitter um, Alabama fans are, are kind of deriding him. It seems like Florida Twitter is as well. Like as soon as they didn't get him, they're like, Oh, he wasn't good. He want we, we weren't going to let him play tackle. We backed or, off. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so odd how every fan base seems to do that to Texas recruits, but it's neither here nor there. But it, I mean, Gerald, what, like for, for those who don't follow recruiting as closely and just saw that we signed a big guy, like give a little backstory of, of how we got there to this, to this uh, announcement. Yeah. So, it's not strange to think about how this works. Like recruiting is a relationships business. Mike Roach has said it on this podcast and Kyle flood was recruiting Peyton Kirkland when Kyle flood was at Alabama. Um, and if you, Mike, Mike had a really great write up about it on, on two, four, seven, if you're a subscriber. Um, but basically what, what happened was, and, and this is true. Miami signed a five-star tackle. And so Kirkland is like, well, I'm not going to be in that class, which I completely understand. Recruiting is a numbers game. Texas squeezed a kid last year. Like, that's just part of the game. Um, And so when that opportunity kind of didn't work, um, the relationship with Kyle Flood was one that he that he fell back on. It's something that. you know, Peyton said and said to um, one of the national recruiting writers is like, when I got injured last year, who's the first person to call me? Kyle Flood. First, but not 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 asking how I was doing or about the future of my football career, but just checking in with me as a person to see how I was doing. I'm like, again, recruiting is all about relationships and blah 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 blah. He hasn't visited Texas. Blah 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 blah. What like. Fans are going to make all sorts of accusations about Texas dropping bags. And first of all, you know my stance on that. If someone's complaining about dropping bags, that's broke boy energy. Quit pocket watching. Don't be mad that somebody outspent you. Be mad that your team got outspent, right? Like that's the mentality I have about it. But that's not – that might not be the situation here. And I can't say definitively – again, there's – there's. I mean, Pancake Factory is a legitimate thing. So, like, we have to be aware of that. But um, the simple fact of the matter is Kyle Flood – played a long relationship game with this and that's how recruiting works. And so it, this is the second time Mario Cristobal has benefited Kyle flood in, in Texas. And I'm totally okay with that. Like I said, I, I just love that a kid got to be a surprise in this era of recruiting. You don't just, you don't see it. Um, I, I, I hate a bigger it. Surprise. Yeah, I, I hate it that it wasn't as big as it could have been. Um, could have truly been one of the shocks of, of this era of recruiting, but nonetheless, it, it is just still fun to get the, like, the uh, BON slack going, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Are you seeing this? What's happening? Um, so, yeah, but but ultimately we're excited for Peyton Kirkland. I love the depth that we have on the offensive line. I love that there's going to be battles in the trenches. I love that guys are going to come in and plan 
to wait a year or two before they see the, the field because there's going to be guys ahead of them and they're going to keep getting big guys and they're going to churn it down. I mean, this is what Alabama did to you know differentiate differentiate themselves in the Saban era. This is how Georgia got back to the top. You get big humans, you get lots of them. Maybe one doesn't pan out, maybe two don't pan out, but you get so many of these big guys that you're going to get a best five out of that bunch on both the, the offensive side and probably a best three or four on the defensive side and just, you know, that size and you can rotate guys in because you have depth. I, I just love it. I love that we are seeing a complete and utter 180 difference in philosophy from previous regimes at Texas and really focusing on bringing in the beef and uh, Peyton Kirkland is the latest uh, latest addition to that and very excited to welcome him to the 40. Well it's not just quality it's not just beef it's quality beef right it's not like it's not a Walmart steak this is like you know whole food steak and you know Texas like you said is 12, 12 offensive linemen in two cycles, which is as many as you know Herb Hand did in three. So they've been here 18 months. Herb, you were here like three years. So let's uh, get this together. But, you know, Texas may not hit on all of them. I feel like Kyle Flood is one of the probably three best offensive line coaches and evaluators in the country, and I'd probably uh, say he's probably not three. He's probably one or two. Um, but, like, if Texas can hit – on 70% of these 12 kids, that's eight offensive linemen right there, which is way better than what Texas has had to deal with in the past. And so um, it's always good to have more bodies, more big bodies. And I'm, I'm completely satisfied with uh, this. Again, there could have been a bigger surprise, but we'll leave that for another day. Kyle, let's watch list season. Oh, yeah. We go from talking season to watch list season. Texas has six players currently named to watch list. If you don't know how the watch list works, basically if you're a starter at a Power 5 school, you're probably going to end up on a watch list somewhere. Uh, Jatavian Sanders uh, on the Mackey watch list, given to the top tight end in the country. Xavier Worthy and Isaiah Nayor on the Bolitnikoff for the top wide receiver. Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson for the Doak Walker, and DeMarvin Overshone, named today to the Butkus Award watch list. Of the six guys, Kyle, who is your likeliest to win the award they are up for? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think it's it's Bijan winning the Doak Walker, um, but that's like the lowest hanging for right, like you have a, a a one surefire all-american out of the bunch you could have as many as three um out of that bunch uh so some some really high upside guys there i think both the politnikov guys are people to watch but um but yeah i i, I mean most likely i'm I'm sticking with the, the the easy ones, dancing with the ones that brung you, uh, as DKR would tell you. It's it's Bijan for 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 the Doak Walker, and I'd have to look it up. But Texas uh, has won many of those in the past and has been a Doak factory uh, over the years, so it would it would make sense for uh, for Mr. Robinson to add one more. Yeah, I mean that's that's the easy answer. I think. Um... DeMarvian Overshone getting to play a little bit more edge and a little less middle linebacker could also help his case. He's very talented, very quick. If you don't remember, he played safety and was a track star before he got to, you know, in high school. So, um, you know, the, the signing of Diamante Tucker Dorsey and Jalen Ford, who apparently has just blown up in camp. Yeah, his, his, that gives you the flexibility to play a guy like Overshone at an edge, which is a position that Texas needs quite significant help at. So he's got an opportunity there if he can have some timely and some highlight real sacks he could also see uh, himself at least make a trip to the awards ceremony if not win it but yeah Bichon's the easy answer there uh, I I would be I mean he's going to be a finalist for the Doak Walker unless unless the wheels completely fall off of him and the team he will be a finalist for the Doak Walker award uh, so we'll see that uh, in December let's not forget and I won't harp on this too much before Bichon's 
injury probably two games before I guess he got injured when it was the middle of the season in Texas still wasn't wasn't great they were in the midst of the start of that that loss streak but Bijan was still I think top five top ten uh Heisman odds at that point I mean it, it, he obviously got injured towards the end of it and Texas just you know lost too many games for it to be realistic um but you know he he's going to be in the conversation and and he was as a sophomore he will be even more so as a junior for all kinds of awards come season's end knocking on wood that he retains his health on the hardwood, men's basketball announced the 2023 non-conference schedule. Not going to read them all because there were a lot, but the notable games, November 16, hosting Gonzaga. December 1st, the Big 12 Big East battle against Creighton. December 6th, the Jimmy V Classic uh, at Madison Square Garden against Illinois. December 18th, the Pac-12 Coast to Coast Challenge against TBA, uh, Texas Baptist Association, I'm not sure, no, uh, to be announced. That'll be at the American Airlines Center in Dallas and the SEC Big 12 Challenge at Tennessee. Of the five that I laid out, really it's four because we don't know who TBA is going to be, but of those games, which one's got you the most excited? Well, it is interesting, Gerald. The American Airlines Center will be hosting uh, the Pac-12 Coast to Coast Challenge, and that's the American Airlines, the official airline sponsor of the Texas Longhorns. Um, feel free, any AA execs who listen to this podcast to be the official sponsor of this podcast Not a sponsor, as, as well, but no free ads. Um, but uh, no, I think out of these, obviously uh, playing in MSG is great. You saw Texas win a national invitational tournament championship in, in Madison Square Garden a couple years ago, going back to the garden, always um Always great. Uh, they had a heartbreak the last time they were in New York, so I'm excited for the Jimmy V. But Gonzaga, I mean, without those giant bigs they had uh, previously, I think is it's going to be interesting. Gonzaga's still really, really good and loaded with talent. Um, getting them early may be a good thing for Texas, who brings a lot of their team back from last year, plus obviously some exciting new parts. But um, you can't not be excited about Gonzaga the way that they've played the past couple years. Coming to Austin, they're, they're, it was such a great home environment for them. I hope Texas fans can get out there and be absolutely nuts in the new arena um, and establish some of that home court advantage the way that you saw the dog pound uh, in Gonzaga. And my company's Seattle-based, and a lot of uh, folks are Gonzaga fans, uh, including my GM in the Houston office of Slalom, who is uh, from Seattle himself, a Gonzaga alum. So I would love to have a little bragging rights. So I think I got to circle that one. It's hard not to want it back in blood after Gonzaga last year. Tennessee's always fun. Mm-hmm. I, I I like Tennessee. Is it like it's a classic matchup. They're they're a classically uh, big basketball program. That that arena there in in Knoxville is just incredible. And it's always good to see Rick Barnes. I I'm not a Rick Barnes hater. I don't want to see Texas just absolutely beat the crap out of Rick Barnes. I think Rick Barnes was an incredible head statesman and coach for the for the Longhorns when he was here. But like that's just like like Texas and Tennessee is such a classic matchup. It's kind of turned into this rivalry. And again, I love like SEC basketball is mad underrated. Like let's just go and say that. And so uh, I'm excited to to get another taste of it. Look at you, Artie, an SEC homer. You're getting ready for the conference, which I love it. On to the ladies' sports. Uh, Holly Ward was selected to Canada's FIFA U20 Women's World Cup team. Kyle, if the University of Texas wins any more FIFA or CONCACAF uh, awards for Canada, we may have to annex them. Uh, no, I, I, I love I love the pipeline, right? We had it a little bit in, in basketball with uh, Cabongo and Tristan Thompson, um, but a- Angela Kelly is uh, you know is from uh, Scot- Scotland originally, but but um, Canadian played on the Canadian um, 
national team. I think she's in the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. They always seem to get one or two recruits from Canada. I love this pipeline. Let's let's keep getting these great Texas uh, talents, especially out of the DFW area, and just throw a couple Canadians in there and see if we can't just uh, make a run at it. But excited for Holly Ward and, and any of the future uh, Canadians who want to commit to Texas and then play for the Canadian national team. It seems to be a good pipeline. Canada, Texas, and pipelines from Canada. Name a better <laughs> duo. Women's golf. Sarah Kusakova was named the Big 12 Conference Co-Scholar Athlete of the Year alongside Trip Prepari, who was named the Big 12 Track and Field Scholar Athlete of the Year. 3.77 GPA for Kusakova, who was also an All-Conference Tournament player. Trip Prepari, a uh, national championship champion, while carrying a 3.97 GPA in grad school. Uh, not too shabby. The uh, the warrior poet Trip Prepari, the uh, the man with a, a loincloth and a spear, and also a uh, a book of of uh, poems. Uh, I, no, I, I, I Trip Prepari is such an incredible man to accomplish all that he does, and still almost have a 4.0. Like that's that's legit uh, as could be. But uh, Kuskova also joined by Bentley Cotton uh, as a WGCA All-American scholar. So a lot of a lot of student athletes absolutely bringing it uh, this past season, winning Directors Cups and also uh, being named uh, Scholar Athletes of the Year. You love to see it. And keeping the Scholar Athlete trend going, 2022 Hall of Honor inductees were announced this last week. A friend of the show, Sam Acho, uh, leading off the group uh, representing the football team, swimming and diving's BJ Bedford, uh, Ovi Dotson and Kevin Durant from the basketball team, Lindsey Gardner from softball, Kate Golden from the golf team, women's track and field, Robbie Johnson, tennis, Johnny Levine, baseball, Dustin Majerski, uh, tennis, and Gro- uh, Grosbeck Mata, and another from the swimming pool, Kirk Stackle. And so, Kyle, like, how ancient does it make you feel that people that we watch play live on campus are getting inducted into the Hall of Honor? Like, really old, right? It's definitely wild. Um, it shouldn't be happening. Like, Sam is a contemporary. He's a friend. He should not be like, – good for him. He should absolutely be in every Hall of Honor. Um, but he should not be there for another 10 years because he's he's still a young man, um, as am I. Uh, Ovi Dotson, <laughs> you know, that's that's a Harlem Globetrotter. That's that's uh, that's awesome. Kevin Durant, of course. There's just some great, great names. Dustin Majewski. I mean, there's some, some absolute studs in that list, um, all of them, obviously, that you just uh, named. But, uh, yes, I, I agree, Gerald. That, when did we get so old? It happened when we weren't looking. But now it's a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, before I bang uh, my particular drum, I, I, I will forget this by our Thursday show to put it in the burnt orange lenses, so let me bang it here. Uh, congratulations to my left tackle, the left tackle protecting my heart, Sam Cosme uh, was engaged uh, this past weekend, I believe, um, to a what we always love to see, another uh, Texas athlete, Texas volleyball alum, Blair Westerlin, um, which, again, anytime two 
Texas athletes marry, you just imagine their super uh, child will uh, basically come to save uh, our, our sports. Um, we're looking at you, uh, Richard Ross. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so we excited for both of them. Uh, congratulations to Blair and Sam. But I am banging the drum on a guy we just talked about, a, a recent Hall of Honor inductee, but a guy going through one of the weirdest points in his career. Kevin Durant is kind of the key piece of this NBA offseason, a domino that when he falls, we'll see where everything else goes. But because he is at the point in his career where he still demands all of the monies, but he also, you know, is inevitably, because he's now in the Hall of Honor, he's been gone a while, he's been in the league a long time, uh, probably doesn't have multiple more contracts long-term left, so teams are a little hesitant maybe to do it. So it's kind of wild that a 12-time All-Star, two-time Finals MVP asked for a trade, I think it's uh, beginning of July, end of end of June, um, and it hasn't happened yet. And it seems like it's, it's the Nets really holding out for everything in return for Durant. They've gotten some good offers, but they basically are, are, are asking for picks and your best player and your best defender and your best young pro. Like they really want a lot. And it makes sense, right? They signed Kevin Durant and thought they were building a dynasty. And now Durant kind of wants out. And, it, and it's an interesting thing to think about Durant's legacy. Uh, obviously Oklahoma city is where it started. Well, Seattle technically, but Oklahoma City is where he became truly kind of the the, the household name to most average basketball fans. Um, and uh, the, the probably though he was utterly spectacular there, the heights were when he was on the super team of Golden State. Um, and so it'll be curious to see where this last chapter is. The Heat opened up as favorites. Um, Phoenix Suns moved into the lead, but then they, they re-signed uh, Aiton for all of the money. And so they don't have the room. So it looks like... The Celtics might be the, the the kind of clubhouse favorites. I don't know how I feel about that, um, but they want Jalen Brown and supposedly Marcus Smart as well. Some picks again. They want a lot. Um, the Warriors are still. I think Vegas had them as as seven to two odds. Phoenix Suns still kind of in their heat, and then Blazers and Raptors. It's very curious to see where he ends up. Will be really interesting. I know a lot of Texas fans basically. Their basketball at the NBA level is where Durant is. That's who they root for. And so it's it's an offseason where we all wait to see what jersey we're buying, but um, or at least what games we're putting on our NBA league pass. Um, I, I don't have a favorite. I kind of hope it's not Boston, but it, it would be a really interesting. That Boston team is great, and he might just be the thing that takes him over the top to get him another championship. But, yeah, I, I don't know that I have a preference. Miami intrigued me when it first came out, but I will be very curious to see where Durant goes. And, again, I think the whole NBA world is watching um, closely at Kevin Durant's very uh, very petty Twitter responses to see if he tips his hand at all about where he's going when he claps back at whoever tweets his name uh, at him. So I, uh, I will be watching Kevin Durant, both his Twitter and the greater NBA Twitter, to see what's going on. And Kevin Durant, new addition to TikTok, came off the top rope. With a one banger of a username, basically uh, using his designation from 2K as his username, uh, <laughs> two-way, three-level player, uh, very impressive. And uh, also, uh, I'm not going to quote what he said, but he basically said, how do I use this expletive um, <laughs> as his first video? I'm very, very respectful. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on uh, something you've heard me talk about before, but um, Patty Pimblett won an MMA match over the weekend. Um, and 
used his platform uh, following this big this big win um, to talk about mental health. He unfortunately is dealing with one of his closest friends committing suicide uh, last week, uh, heading into this this massive match for his career. Uh, and he talked about breaking the stigma and talked about um, mental health and and how the the weird stigma around men and athletes specifically talking about mental health and and depression and the things that they go through and like you and I have been open about our feelings about about this Kyle but I always anytime I have the opportunity to talk about it like I always want to bring it up because it's something that's so near and dear to my heart it's something that um I think is is just so important and he said it really best he said it really well he said I would rather you cry on my shoulder than go to your funeral I would rather you cry on my shoulder than have to go to your funeral. And and that that is like the quintessential thing for me. Like, there's no way to, to say it other than like the stigma is BS and man up mentality is killing folks and it's it's continuing to kill folks. And so like, again, this is not specifically targeted at men, but like that's that's the context in which it was said. But like mental health is important. Take care of yourself, like see yourself. I, I have been to counseling multiple times and I am a better father. I'm a better man. I'm a better husband. I'm a better employee. Like I am a better me because of the, the work that I have done with counselors. And I will say it. I will shout it from the from the rooftops like it, it is it is beneficial. I, I, I firmly believe everybody should go to counseling at least once in their life. And here's, I'll take it a step further. I think every couple should go to couples counseling like once a year just to have a neutral third party be like, Hey, let's talk through some stuff. So like I'm banging the drum this week on like, take care of your mentals. Like you, there's only one you, nobody's going to be a better you than you. You are needed. You are valued. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Um, but I would rather listen to you cry on my shoulder than attend your funeral. Beautiful, beautiful sentiments from the guy who goes by Patty the Batty. If your nickname is Patty the Batty and you're you're out here advocating, none of us are too tough uh, to to talk it out and to to ask for help. So love it, Gerald. Always resonates when you uh, when you bring up a topic that's incredibly important. Um, nothing more to add. Great job. And that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Get those bets in on Bijan for Heisman while you still get odds. Mm-hmm.